Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to this mini episode of The Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast proudly supported by Kia, champions of independent cinema. Speaking of independent cinema, on this episode, we're talking to one of the greatest independent filmmakers of our time, a fantastic filmmaker, Justin Kurzel, director of films including Snowtown, Macbeth, a couple of years ago, The True History of the Kelly Gang. He has another film in cinemas right now, Nitram, which played at the Cannes Film Festival in 2021, picked up the Best Actor Award at the festival for its star, Caleb Landry-Jones. And, uh, and yeah, he's, one of, he's, just, he's a prolific filmmaker without fail, even during the pandemic, a film every, every couple of years. And, uh, and, and, and it's hugely exciting to see where he will go next. He makes challenging films, thought-provoking films, and he is so good with actors. I think every one of his films, whether it's a big star or a you know, relative sort of unknown actor or up-and-coming talent, he gets the best out of people. And actually, on this podcast a couple of years ago, we spoke to George Mackay, the star of True History of the Kelly Gang, and he he basically said it was unlike any film he'd ever worked on before. The the audition was exciting. There were lots of acting exercises on set. There was lots of conversation and stuff. So it sounds like he knows how to work with actors. And I think if you watch Nitram, this new film starring Caleb Landry-Jones and Essie Davis and, and a whole bunch of fantastic people, uh, you, you really, really see that. So that's probably enough from me for this little intro, I really am excited to introduce my colleague, Izzy McLeod, who is one of our film programmers. So when you go to the cinema and you see the films on, that's partly, you know, down to her and, and her team, our incredible programming team, and, you know, what time things are on, it's down to her and, and the specials we do and the events and all that sort of great stuff. Izzy, in addition to being a great film programmer, is also a scholar of Australian cinema, and we thought, what better, uh, <laughs> what better person to talk to one of Australia's most exciting filmmakers than an uh, expert in Australian cinema. So that's enough from me. I will pass over to Izzy McLeod talking to fantastic director Justin Kurzel about his brand new film, Nitram, which is in cinemas right now. It's powerful. It's brilliant. I highly recommend you see it on the big screen. Enjoy. Welcome, Justin Kurzel, to the Pitch House podcast. Today we'll be talking about your film, Nitram. What did you do? I gave up and went back to the car. But then, I heard someone laughing. I looked around, and there he was. Lying on the floor of the back seat, looking up at me, laughing. Laughing at my pain. Like it was the funniest thing in the world. Thanks for joining us. I saw Nitram for the second time yesterday, and it was just even better. I think the second time around, it's a real, I think, sensitive and like nuanced piece of work for a figure who sort of, in a way, I assume sort of haunts Tasmanian history. And I was interested seeing it with this crowd and seeing it sort of quite full cinema with a lot of people who I think probably didn't know the story or didn't know particularly the figure it's the way it plays out and the way the audience reacts 
has been fascinating to see. There was a lot of laughter in the beginning that sort of <laughs> trails off by the end. And I um, wondered if you could talk a bit about sort of when you first received that script and how those sort of moments of dark humour, how you read them and then how they sort of how you worked out how to present them on screen and how to really walk that fine line between humanization of all these people involved while also not leaning away from the fact that this was a very tragic moment and a very troubled figure. Yeah well there was something very recognizable in the script like when I kind of read it there was I thought god I know that cul-de-sac street suburban street and I know that family and I know that guy that you sort of decide to cross the road to not pass I know that hermit lady that has you know endless amounts of dogs it was just sort of something very familiar about it that that allowed me to kind of get closer and more intimate with the with with the story and I, I felt Sean had sort of written a domesticity and in a weird way a kind of family drama that was really sort of deceptive at the at the beginning of the film so we, we always sort of talked about sort of gently going into the film and 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 really becoming part of this family and and you know and then um, realizing that you were sort of you know on this car crash but sort of couldn't get out of the car type type feeling so it was interesting you know when we were researching there were so many sort of details about this person's life before the before the the, the shootings that were, were really unbelievable you know they, they were kind of I mean, the Helen character existed and, and, and actually there was probably triple more dogs in her place and there were a lot more kind of extreme things there that you, you, you just wouldn't sort of believe. And there was, a, you know, there was really eccentricity, you know, in, in it all. So, and, and that I really liked that there was this sort of way into this, this life and world and this family that, that you know, felt felt like I knew and felt was attainable and that and that we could sort of start to kind of feel and and um you know and and be in and and that I thought was really important in terms of the start now you know we, we had many conversations about empathy and sympathy for the character and so forth but I think our first primary focus was what's recognizable here what do we see and feel that 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 feels lived and that feels like something you know we may have seen before yeah, I think um, definitely the, the lived-in moments, particularly the way the film is shot, you are often in the backseat of a car or otherwise very, very close to these characters. And, I mean, people have talked about Essie Davis and Caleb Andrew Jones, obviously, can. He got a lot of accolades for, the, for his role, and it is, he's amazing the way he brings life to the character. But I found it was Judy Davis who I, I felt you really she becomes almost this linchpin to the film where you understand other characters better via her response to him. And she's quite unreadable in a way, the way she treats her son, but also the way she clearly loves him feels this back and forth that you can, can't get, quite get a handle on. And I wonder if you've talked a bit working with her because she's really quite a legend, I think. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she's... <laughs> She's amazing. She's amazing. Some of those actors who sort of walk, you know, walks on set and you take a deep breath and, you know, hope you don't look like a goose on that day when you're directing. But she, she, it was really interesting. I, I think that the character read a lot colder and and a lot more distancing in the screenplay. And and to Judy's credit, she she was really determined that 
just the enormous sort of hardship of being a mother to this child or to, and, and to this man, more importantly, was, you know, was, was really explored and kind of what that was and the, the questioning that she had about sort of responsibility, whether, you know, this is, that the, the, the her child is like that because of something that she has done in rearing that child or is it in her blood or is it in her husband's blood or what, like what, what, what's gone wrong here? And, and, I, and to Judy's credit, I think that was, you know, th that, that struggle and that challenge of being the mother of, of that person um, was, was really at the forefront. And, and I think that she brought a complexity to that character that probably wasn't on the page as much as, you know, what Judy created. So, you know, a lot of conversations were sort of had about empathy for the mother and, and, and kind of what that looked like and, and, and how that could sort of play out in the film and, and, and really interesting moments in the film. I just remember on set, you know, Essie and Judy sort of talking about the first time that they meet and there's a sort of, Judy tells that story about losing Nitran in a, in a sort of fabric shop. And you think it's a sort of story that's threatening and actually it kind of ends up sort of being something more, well, especially the way Judy sort of does it, a, a sort of plead for help more than anything or or an understanding of you know from Helen of what do you see in him that I don't see and 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 those and a lot of those questions really came from you know a, an actor as great and as fantastic and as detailed as Judy really demanding those 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 sort of those answers and wanting to question them. Oh, yes definitely and I think you seem to have a real talent with finding actors that can embody roles so well, I think it, there's, in terms of how these characters move and live in the world, there seems a lot of similarities to your work on Snowtown. And I wondered if you felt in some way this was a return to the, that sort of both filmmaking. I mean, I'd love to hear about your choices after going from True History to the Kelly, of the Kelly Gang to Nit Ram and the, the changes in aesthetics and styles and where you were drawing from with that. But also if you were thinking about your work on Snowtown and if there was moments where you felt like you were revisiting certain themes particularly around Australian sort of culture yeah no no definitely I mean I, I think um I, I did a really large film and I really didn't enjoy it and I was desperate to kind of try to reach for what I loved and enjoyed in my first film you know um, Snowtown so uh there was definitely you know the the budget and the crew size and everything kind of was really similar and and you know and me 10 years on sort of going okay well there's a real simplicity here you know how can I really embrace that and I loved it it was it, it was it was great it was also look it, it was a COVID film you know we we um a couple of films have fallen over just before um COVID we're all locked away Sean had written this script during isolation and it just felt like we could make it, you know, and we could make it in this time. And, and, and it really was, we, we, were, we were living in a hub. We, were, we weren't allowed to see the outside world. We were incredibly isolated and cut off from the outside world, you know, together for about five or six weeks. It was an extraordinary kind of experience, not dissimilar to Snowtown in that we, with Snowtown, we were kind of living in the community and area as well. But th this was very, very particular. And, really spoke to the times and you know and 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 somehow that 
sense of disconnect and that sense of isolation that we were sort of experiencing um, in just having to make the film, you know, it, it did speak to some of the themes and ideas in, you know, in the film. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely, um, I mean, isolation is such a big thing. I think the scenes of him at the, the beach in particular really capture that loneliness he feels. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. I mean, in, in terms of filming in Australia, you filmed um, in Victoria mainly for this. Yeah. I was just curious about actually uh, sort of the funding processes in Australian cinema, because I think it's something people aren't overly aware of here, but I would be interested if you could just expand on that, like help you received or if you had any obstacles or any requirements when it came to filming this. Yeah, I mean, in, in Australia, we're really lucky. I mean, like, like Britain, we, we, we have a... Um, various government funding bodies that that you know really support Australian films unfortunately with this one they didn't want to support this particular film so we were very reliant on our you know sales agent Wild Bunch and um, Stan um, one of the um, major streamers uh, in Australia and also um, Madman who are kind of fierce amazing distributor in in Australia and and it really was those three and Melbourne Film Festival who put in some money as well in their premier fund that 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 allowed the film to be made. It was um, you know, and then everyone just sort of, you know, putting their money in the film, <laughs> you know, everyone kind of working for for sort of pittance. So it um and that's the only way it would have got made. It was it, it, you know, look, I was surprised that there wasn't the support there for it. You know, at the same time, I kind of understand and understand why, but um, we just were very lucky that we had a, a very strong team that did sort of see the the virtue in the script and 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 the film, and we were able to we were able to do it in a very kind of minimal way. I think you do feel that support in the film. It feels everyone really is giving their their best work. And that reluctance you mentioned, did you find that in the response to the film in Australia? And because I. I think as well, as far as I've heard, the Tasmania in particular had a very unusual um, release strategy for it regarding advertising of the film. Yeah, uh, we, well, we worked with the cinemas here and decided that it was important that audiences here could see it and could see it in the cinemas. And But we didn't do any advertising. We didn't sort of put up any posters. We, we didn't want it to be, um, you know, um, in the face of... of people so it was a very discreet sessions that that people could come along and 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 see but it was fascinating you know we we there were the Tasmanian cinemas and there were only two that put it on which was sort of the art house major independent sort of cinemas had the best numbers in terms of people going and and and, and a lot of young people here in Tasmania were were, were in those cinemas and you know and I think a lot of it had to do with sort of just trying to understand their history in this place and 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 what this event was and you know 
and being able to have a conversation about it afterwards. It, it, it really is here a, a very difficult subject to talk about. And, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I do think that the film provided an outlet for conversation and discussion. I think that there was a lot of that going on, you know, especially around young people that may have not been born at the time or were born after uh, the events and, you know, wanted to sort of understand what this, you know, terrible sort of black hole was, you know, in the past. Yes, and definitely it's, it's I think, an, yeah, extremely important film and if people want to seek it out, they'll, they'll find a way and yeah. I think that's what's important and it's, it's good to see that people, uh, particularly in Australia, are wanting to learn about that history but, I mean, even here in the UK, I think there's things we can learn from and the connection to the Dunblane massacre in particular feels very pertinent and only feels, I mean, this film continues to feel relevant over many you know America everything like that so it's um, really great to see it in cinemas thank you for your time and again it's an amazing film great work thank you no, pleasure talking